You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. See you. Happy New Year to you. And uh, just was thinking as we sang that last verse of that song, then he shall return. And don't you pray it's this year? I would love to see that, uh, other than those that I don't yet uh, see in them, maybe a profession of faith and trust in Christ. Other than that, I'm ready for him to come, and I hope that you are as well. It's amazing to me as I stand before you this morning, uh, the pendulum swing of weather from a week ago. And uh, I was saying to uh, Heidi last night, it feels like Christmas was like a month ago because it feels like we're into spring now. And hey, Christmas is behind us, winter is behind us. And if you believe that today, you are in for a fun three or four months yet here that we have, okay? So uh, we're glad you're here today. Missed some of you who were able to, weren't able to make it in person last week. Uh, but uh, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year to you. Looking forward to what God has for us. My own opinion would be this. I would love for the holidays of Christmas and New Year's to be on Sunday every year. That's my take on it. And maybe not some of the weather we had a week ago, but uh, it is just, uh, it's just a special thing to hear each of us sing Merry Christmas to each other in person and then be able to do that again this morning as we enter the new year. I hope that you enter it with a fresh sense of vision and community and uh, unction of what God has for us, both as families and individuals as well as a church. If you will, turn to Luke chapter 2 today, and we're going to look at the last in our series of the season of Advent, and we'll get to this text in just a moment. Luke chapter 2, we'll begin in verse 25 in a moment. Uh, Before we do that, just a couple of housekeeping things or announcements as we head into the new year. Uh, First of all, I want to remind you about next Sunday, uh, which we call Vision Sunday, and uh, you'll see on the slide in front of you there three time slots, and I would like you to make note of all three of these. Uh, Our Vision Sunday usually is just the emphasis of one um, initiative or kind of mindset or uh, priority for the given year, and excited to unveil that next Sunday morning. And so our structure next Sunday will be as follows. So in two weeks, we start small groups. I'll come back to that in just a moment. But next Sunday, we normally have, when our small groups are in full motion, we have groups that meet uh, on Sunday mornings at 9. And so next Sunday at 9, I want to invite all of you to come for a special, what we're calling uh, question and action, um, instead of question and answer. Uh, and what I did a few weeks ago is uh, in kind of the vein of the, the, the vision for the new year, um, had a survey I gave to our teenagers and uh, just getting some feedback from them as the next generation. And we're going to talk about things that uh, we need to do better as a church things that teens, because they'll be in with us as well in that session, and then for us adults, of how do we pass our faith to the next generation by staying moored to the doctrines of God's Word, the non-negotiables, but also being relatable and relevant to the next generation in ways that God's Spirit leads us to do so. So basically that format next Sunday will just be Pastor Dave kind of throwing the questions out, me giving some of their responses, and then just kind of some points of action for us as a church. Um, I I don't know how to say this to you nicely, but we don't have as many young people in the room that we need to have in this room, and not just in this room, but launching out from this room to reach their generation, Um, and that ought to be a concern of ours. We are literally a couple of decades away from there being almost no one in this room. Isn't that a blessing to hear today? Sorry. (laughs) 
Um, but in, in all seriousness, there has to be that transfer. And not just that there are bodies in this room and being sent out of this room in missions, but they're anchored to and grounded in the Word of God and guided by the Spirit. And so would ask for your partnership in that. So come at 9 next Sunday, just kind of a discussion format. And then, if at all possible, be here for the 10.30 and the 5.30 service, where we'll be talking about six initiatives that will help us do that better uh, in the new year. So I invite you to be with us next Sunday, 9, 10.30, and 5.30. The second thing is this, quickly, in the lobby as you came in today, you probably noticed it, we have the sign-up for our small groups that begin on January the 15th, uh, will be the Sunday sessions, and then Wednesday the 18th, and want to encourage you to sign up for that. Um, and be a part of those uh, in this winter session. So this will go from those dates through the week before Easter. I'm sorry, the week before Palm Sunday. I just invite you to be a part of that. And I just want to say a word about that. I won't overemphasize this today because we've taught on this in several settings in the past. But I was reading the other day, an author said this, the Bible is more communal than it is individual. Jesus teaches us to pray, our Father, not my Father. Paul uses the phrase, our Lord, 53 times, and my Lord, only one time. Jesus is my personal Savior. Those words are not found in Scripture. We are the people of God. We belong to each other. We are codependent, brethren. And I just want to encourage you, those of you who are either maybe a bit nervous about committing to that venue, talk to some others that have been a part of it just this last year or so. And let them give you some feedback. I assure you, it's a setting that you can grow and thrive in and be comfortable, but also be challenged in. And I would just encourage you with this last thought as you prayerfully think about signing up by next Sunday. It's not just about you. It's about those that need you. They need your wisdom. They need what you're processing. They need to hear you struggle and share that and connect with them over that so that they can do the same thing. And so I want to encourage you to pray about that. And if you would sign up by next Sunday, uh, that just involves basically we're reading through the Bible, and just a reminder, the reading plan is on the table. That starts tomorrow uh, as we work through select passages of the Old Testament. You're doing five readings a week. Um, you're going through some scripture memory at your own pace. You just partner up with somebody in your group, and you work through some memory wor uh, work uh, together. Also, there's accountability about how to be a witness. and Don't you want to see someone saved this year as a result of your testimony? Uh, let's, let's share in that, that prayerful initiative together. Uh, and then also you can open up about something else you want to be held accountable to by the group. Hey, I need to be a better dad. I need to be a better, better neighbor, whatever the setting may be. Uh, but it is a crucial part of our ministry. It's not a part of our ministry. It is what our ministry revolves around. And so if you come only on Sunday mornings, if you want my honest opinion, the next step for you is to get involved in these. And so I hope that you'll do so. If you have any questions or concerns, feel free to reach out to me this week. All right, Luke chapter 2 today. Let's look, if you will, at verse 25 down through verse 38. And this is one of my favorite parts of the Christmas narrative and the after Christmas, if you will, uh, this tremendous story of God entering human time and space. And behold, Luke 2, 25, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost, notice this, was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, 
Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Go, if you will, down to verse 36. And there was one Anna, the prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Aser. She was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years. That's 84 which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she, just like Simeon, coming in that instant, gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that look for redemption in Jerusalem. Um, And so we see her as well praising uh, the Lord. If you go back to verse uh, number 38, it says, spake of him to all them that look for the redemption in Jerusalem. If you go back to verse 25, was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And so we want to end today by looking at this, the advent of joy. The joy we see in these two senior saints as they celebrate what God has done through the incarnation. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the joy it is to be here. Lord, I can't think anywhere where else I'd rather be than to be in your house with your people in your word, your spirit in me, you moving and working and helping me, Lord, to be in sync with you and step with you as, Lord, we enter into this year, a year that is made up of days that you make and days that you orchestrate and days that you want to integrate us, our thoughts, our actions, our deeds, our priorities, our passions. Lord, you want us to be in step with you, and I thank you for each that's here today that has made that a priority. Pray, Father, that you would speak to us through your word as we consider again the coming, the advent of Jesus, and Lord, specifically the joy the Lord should be in our hearts, pulsating in the very frame of our and core of our being today, that transcends our circumstances and our great needs and desperate uh, voids, Lord, that only you can fill. Lord, I pray today that you would renew, you would re-engage, and maybe for the first time today, bring someone into this joy that's found only in the Savior. Bless this study, be honored in it, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Um, before I came here, and uh, you guys were blessed with my presence, yeah, right. Uh, before I came to Worcester, um, I'm joking, okay? Um, the, uh, one of the things I had at the last church I was at is I was a speech teacher. And uh, so we would have, once a year, typically in our school, we would have a play, Sometimes that play was run by an outside organization who would come in and teach our students, and I would kind of just be in a support role. And other times we would do things on our own, whether it was something humorous or something dramatic or whatever the case may be. But I remember a specific, <laughs> a specific sketch that we did several times where, and maybe the teens have seen this, some, a certain variation of this, where you have two individuals who just cross the stage, and they just kind of walk at a normal pace, and they just walk by each other, and maybe in the first rendition of this, this skit, they will even look at each other. So they walk by and they look at each other, and then there's a, it, the frame freezes. And basically the premise of the skit is that there's much that's happen, that happened between these two people crossing that to the naked eye you missed. And so the skit is basically where it keeps slowing down more and more. So the second time through, now they look at each other, And the one gives the other kind of a look of disdain. The other one gets offended. And it just slowly gets, as you get slower and slower, you you see all these nuances that in live time you missed. And by the end, the one steals something from the other. The other (laughs) kicks the one. It's it's a hilarious just kind of stretching out this 
what in the first take we did not see. You know when God is moving in our lives, the often the pace at which he is moving causes us to miss much of what's going on. Whether he, in our view, is moving too quickly or he's moving too slowly. But can I tell you that when it feels like God is just not moving at our pace, there is much he's doing that we cannot see. And one of the things I love about that is that gives to me joy even when I can't see what he's doing. And these two folks we're going to study today had a perception and a discernment and a sense of timing that gave to them an experience of joy uh, that those around them did not experience. And so we see here clearly this advent of joy. For me in my life, probably the advent of joy not being everything it should be is because I often want God to move quicker than he moves. Um, I want him to pick up the pace. If I had a fast-forward button of life, I probably would use it more than I should because I want to get to the next thing and the next thing. And yet the wisdom of these two, this dear senior man, this dear senior lady, their patience, their tenacity, their perseverance to wait upon joy to come. I don't know if you picked up on the phrase just this morning. I usually, if we show a video in church, I'll watch it just before church just to soak it in one last time. And uh, there was a phrase that jumped out at me this morning where it said this, joy is diminished by the conditions we put upon it. One of the things I love about these two that we're going to study today is they put no conditional clauses on whether they were going to be happy in Jesus, whether they're going to be joyful in the Lord. And often we diminish and we hinder the joy that has come when we put our own human fallible conditions upon it. So here we have these two believing Jews. They're waiting for the Redeemer, the Messiah, Simeon and Anna. And uh, we notice that they are willing to wait upon the Lord with a joyful spirit. Now, we don't have time to unpack the text at length, but if you go back to verse 21 and 22, minimum, this is 48 days after Christmas. If we can use the word Christmas in the sense that what we refer to as in Jesus coming, you have the eight days uh, before circumcision, and then you have the 40 days of Mary's purification. And so we are probably a month and a half-ish after Christmas. So today we're a week after when we celebrate and commemorate Christmas. Here we see them 48 or so days afterward, now entering into the joy that still abides in Jesus Christ. So here's the question today. In a day of despondency and negativity that seems to grow with every passing moment of human history, how do we open up our lives to be ready to receive a fresh arrival of God's joy for us personally. Let's talk about two aspects of joy we see uh, in Simeon and we see in Anna. Number one, let's talk for a few minutes, first of all, about the visibility, the visibility uh, that God gives us through Advent joy. My, uh, my mom's side of the family has their Christmas gathering always the Saturday after Christmas, so that was yesterday. And uh, we were driving over um, they live near Carrollton, um, where my aunt that hosts the event every year. And uh, we were driving by a church, and it had on the sign, just kind of tongue-in-cheek. Some of the church signs can be a bit cheesy, right? Let's be honest about that. Uh, we rarely use those here. But uh, this one just cracked me up when I saw it. Here was the slogan, Alexa, put away Christmas decorations. <laughs> um, don't you wish some of you, that's on your list, right, this week? 
maybe to do that. If I were to ask you, when is it appropriate? When's the longest, when should you take your Christmas tree down? When should you put your decorations today? Since we can't ask Alexa to do that for us. Um, some of you already have it down. Some of you never put it up. We talked about that last week. Um, some of you will have it up till Valentine's Day. Some of you just don't take down your Christmas decorations. Uh, a friend of mine said, I can't believe my neighbor, it's only 360-something days from Christmas. They already have their lights up, you know, joking, <laughs> uh, keeping them up. I, I don't know. I mean, if you came into church in, let's say, June, and we still have the Christmas trees up, you might start wanting to give a little feedback. You know, we might want to move on to something else. Christmas in July, I don't know, whatever the case may be. But the visibility, do you know there's something about taking down the tree um, that, that it, it's putting away something that's visible, that's bright, um, that for a lot of us represents certain joy-giving things. And I love the fact that God here gives to us through Jesus a visible, tangible presence of his joy. Now here's a key thought today. Joy from God is not the end It's the means to everything God wants to do in our lives. See, we want God to make us happy and joyful. But here's what happens. When we smile with the joy of God, that becomes a conduit or a means to what is ultimately the end of joy, which is to reveal God and to bring glory to his name. Grouches do not glorify fully who God is. And many of us want to be happy in Jesus for the very sake of just being happy when God gives us joy to reveal himself. And so we're going to see that clearly in the example of Simeon. Let's talk about two of them. Number one, jot this down. Joy comes to show the personal faithfulness of God. Joy comes into our lives to show, to make visible the personal faithfulness of God. And we notice two aspects of that. Go back to verse 25. And notice if you see a, a, a connection, verse 25, the end of the verse, and the Holy Ghost was, with, was upon him. Beginning of verse 26, it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost. Verse 27, and he came by the Spirit. Number one, God reveals that he is faithful in spirit. He is faithful in his spirit. He is faithful in giving to us and revealing to us through his spirit this joy that has come. And unlike the grouchy, insecure religious leaders of Simeon's day, day, Simeon's heart and life was open to what God was going to do. They saw Jesus as a threat. They saw Jesus as an inconvenience. Simeon was receptive. He was open to what the Spirit was doing uh, in his day and in his time. And so we see here this reference in verse 25 that seems to indicate that likely Simeon was a prophet. Anna was a prophetess. And we see the same kind of language used as referred to in the Old Testament of the prophets of old. Simeon here is faithful to steward the Spirit properly. Verse 26, notice that the Holy Spirit says to him, he would not die, he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ or the Lord's Messiah. Why do you think God told him that? You think Simeon was... was, um, laid back and a bit apathetic about the coming Messiah? Do you think that's why God... No, he was passionately, fervently, expectantly wanting God to fulfill his word. And because there was such a deep yearning, such an optimism, such a faith-filled perspective, God uh, gave to him this gift, this preview that he would not pass on until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Just a question today as it relates to our level of joy... 
If God were about to do something epic or joy-giving in our present time and in our present world, would you be on his short list? The list where God would say to himself, we have to let them know and we have to get it done before they die because they believe that I am faithful. Um, And so may we be qualified, may we position ourselves to believe that God is faithful and let his spirit sustain that joy. And then in verse 27, because of this, he comes at the precise time. It's almost like there's this big, this drama, and you have the stage hand, and you have the, the director of the play, and cue up Mary and Joseph, and all oh, check out the cute baby, and right when everything choreographs perfectly, Simeon, because he's in sync with the Spirit, he's joyfully following the Spirit, he walks in at the precise moment to see Jesus in that moment. What, a, what an amazing orchestration of the Spirit who is faithful. And so Holy Ghost, verse 25, Holy Ghost, verse 26, Spirit, verse 27, he was in sync with the Spirit. I may have shared this once before, but I heard of a teenager who was complaining to one of his fellow buddies. He said, my grandpa has OCD. And uh, the friend said, you mean he has obsessive compulsive disorder? Teen paused for a moment. He said, no, he's old. He's cranky and he is dangerous, okay? He is he has OCD. You, do you notice as we age that we get that C especially, right? Old, cranky, and dangerous. We tend to age in a way that's embittered, a way that's crusty, a way that's negative. Not Simeon. I think if you saw Simeon walking in, there was a smile. There was a joy. There was a glow to him with all that he had faced, all he waited on. He went daily with expectation that God was about to do something in his life. There is no, listen, there is no greater asset to the glory of our faithful God like a person who ages with intensifying joy. Here's my question to you. This is a tough question. Do you have more joy today? Are you known to have more joy today than you had January 1st of 2022? I don't care what happened this year in the sense of if you have joy or not, you shouldn't care of it for me. Is there a burning, intensifying joy that's sustained by and intensified by the Spirit of God? We're going to study it tonight in our communion service, but Galatians 5 and verse 22 says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, and then what's the next word? Joy. And if this morning we do not have an intensifying sense of joy as we age, that joy is not being derived from God. It's being derived from circumstances and challenges and slights and and hindrances and discouragements from others. Faithfulness in spirit. All right, go to verse 28. Then he took him up. Think about this. Simeon holding Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, and blessed God and said, Lord... Now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. And notice specifically verse 30, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Number two, Simeon believed God was faithful in spirit. Number two, he was faithful in salvation. So he picks up the child. He utters this psalm of praise to the Lord. Um, in fact, if you were to go, th- <laughs> excuse me, go through the different songs that are sung by those who see Jesus, see God in the flesh, In Luke 1 and Luke 2, over and over, the emphasis is upon the salvation of Israel, the salvation of the world. Salvation, salvation, salvation. 
Remember David, when he failed the Lord, what was his prayer in Psalm 51? Restore unto me the joy of my what? Salvation. The joy of my salvation. There is a level of joy that can only be experienced and maintained through a God who is faithful to save us. If God is faithful enough to fulfill his word to give us salvation, why can we not have joy today? He saved us. He can save us. If we don't know Jesus Christ as Savior today, what, what excuse do we have to not possess joy? Your joy today will be in direct proportion to your enduring confidence in or doubts of God's faithfulness. Can I read that again? Your joy will be in direct proportion to your enduring confidence or your doubts of God's faithfulness. So the issue today, sir or ma'am or young person, is not, I don't feel happy. The issue is, are you banking upon, are you counting upon, and are you confident God is faithful? There's a lot about this current world as we enter a new year that does concern me. But the antidote to all of that in my soul and being in mind is this, God is faithful. He's just as faithful today as every other first day of any given year in human history. And he'll be faithful tomorrow, and he'll be faithful the next day. And so through that, we can have abiding, intensifying joy. He has given us his spirit. He has given us his salvation. All right, number two, go to verse 31. So Simeon, we haven't read these verses yet this morning, but Simeon now gives this praise to the Lord, and then it's almost as if he's communicating now to Mary and Joseph and those who are listening as well as he speaks to God. He includes them in this praise, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Number two, jot this down, joy comes to show the public approach of God. So the personal faithfulness of God. Number two, the public approach of God. Could not Simeon have just walked into the temple with kind of a hum, a low hum, and just kind of appreciated what God, okay, I've seen him, and just privately kind of just savored the moment? He does not do that. There's a public, he grabs the kid in the right sense, he lifts him up, he, he wants everybody to know this is the source of my joy. And so there is a public feel to this praise and a reminder that God has come not just to Simeon, but to everyone that is around him. He gets excited, he gets loud, he gets public with his joy so that no one around him would miss what is the source of his joy. Um, may we be more that this year. I have to tell you who Jesus is. I have to tell you what God's done for me. I just, I have to. Like, where's that burning level of joy in our souls, the, our bones, that we, we've got to let it out, what God has done, not just for us, but yearns to do for others. And back to the idea of the small groups I was mentioning earlier, the idea of community. Someone said this recently, when you experience God, it is a deeply personal experience. Listen, but, is not, but it is not all private. It's personal, but it's not all private. And for many of us, the source of our joy and the profile of our joy needs to be manifested, not just internally, but externally to those that God has put around us. All right, a couple things about that quickly. Number one, we see an approach of inclusion. We already read verse 30 and 31. Did you see that? Or verse 31 and 32? It is before the face of all people. It's for not just the people of Israel in verse 32, but it is also for 
the Gentiles. It is for all people. Simeon here notes that the Messiah was to be for the Gentiles, Savior, as well as for Israel. Anybody willing to face, excuse me, to face Jesus and let him shape the demeanor and the profile of their face will find joy. It is available to all people. Verse 33, and Joseph and his, and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Notice how Luke carefully words Joseph and his mother protecting there the virgin birth, how he carefully crafts that sentence there. And notice that they marvel at the extent, the scope of what and who their son is going to impact, this son of God, the the grandioseness of it, the the, the global impact of this message of joy. The impact of Christmas and the Advent is much bigger than you and I fully appreciate today. Um, I'm amazed just the few times that I've been able to travel and other places I go, and I'm sure this year again I'll be impacted by that, but God is on the move in a, a million different corners and crevices of this, of this planet this morning. And he's already done a bunch in a bunch of churches that met seven, eight, ten hours ago. He, he's, he's moving. And I think often our lack of joy, this is just me being honest with where I struggle, is because my view of God is shaped by only my immediate circumstances and context. God is bigger than, than the biggest worry and context in which you're struggling today. He's beyond that. He's bigger than that. He's working even through that. And it, listen, your biggest problem is just a small, it's significant, but it's only a small part of the big thing he's doing. Let that sustain you. Let that infuse your experience and your life in the present uh, with a fresh dose of joy. In fact, in back in verse 10, The angels, as they're singing, if you remember this, go back there quickly, verse 10. Fear not, the angel says, for behold, I bring you good tidings of what? Great joy, which shall be to what people? All people. They're in the sky. This is is bigger than you. This is bigger than me and where we live today. It is unto all people. It's an approach of inclusion. And here's what I have found. Shared joy is increased joy. Some of us today, the issue is not the lack of joy, it's the, the presence of isolation, chosen isolation, chosen autonomy. We're found in a joyful place when we're found in a place of community. And so shared joy is increased joy. And what I love about this joy is it includes the most grumpy, disillusioned person we'll ever run into. God still offers to them joy. So may we not be selective in who we extend it to. It's an approach of inclusion. All right, verse 34, and Simeon, winding down his part of the story today, and Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary, his, excuse me, his mother, behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Number two, it is an approach of exposure, an approach of exposure. I don't know what you've tried to squeeze in the last few weeks with kids off school and family things. To the great joy of my sons and I, Heidi scheduled a family photo shoot for us, okay? Man, we, I mean, we were so pumped counting down the day. Forget Christmas. We got a family photo shoot coming, okay? 
And so this past Tuesday, while it was still transitioning from like frigid cold to now whatever we're dealing with now, the mild temperatures, we did a photo shoot outside, okay? And it was a dreary day. And the temps might have, I mean, I think it was like sub-zero from what I remember. No, I'm just kidding. It was probably just below freezing. But I wanted to show you this picture and see if you can sense in the picture. So the, the photographer, we're at the pine, this is at the pine, pine tree barn, okay, just south of the town. And she said, just lean in and hug each other. And for the first time in our lives, our teens leaned in. And, and willfully, all right? She didn't even have to tell. And Landon especially, would you guess that he's cold right there, you know? I've never had my son cling to me like he did in that moment. He's now thoroughly embarrassed. But I just, I, we got those pictures last night, and it was that we felt exposed to the elements. Try and take off your coat, act like it's warm out, you know, whatever the case may be. You ever felt that? You ever felt exposed? You ever felt vulnerable? Um, here we see um, this uh, reminder that what Jesus is about to do is not just an approach of inclusion, it's also an approach of exposure. And Simeon quickly gives these four things about uh, this child. Number one, he's destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel. So those who resist him would fall. Those who would receive him uh, would rise. The child was destined for a sign which would be spoken against. Um, Jesus, when he comes, he also not just provides joy, but he rebukes, he confronts. Um, and so we see this tension of this child who is to come. The sword would pierce the soul of Mary. Simeon here is predicting the grief which would flood Mary's heart as she would witness firsthand in John 19, the crucifixion of her son. This message is not just a happy, skippy kind of message. There's, there's an underbelly to it. There's a, there's, a, there's a backstory to it that to get this joy, it's going to involve great suffering. And then lastly, the thoughts of many hearts would be revealed. Um, do you know that, that when someone hears the name Jesus or how they use the name Jesus, you can feel what their heart is in that moment. I, I'm amazed by the fact every other name um, is just a name, but when the name Jesus comes, it's, it's a touchstone. It, it, either we feel something positive or we want to run away or we want to lash out against it. And so here Simeon senses that this joy which is to come would also have this challenge. The reason for that is this. Our world is a very dark and despairing place. And when joy enters it, there's a jarring effect. Uh, don't be thrown by that as you try to speak of Jesus and share Jesus in the new year, that with that is going to come certain guttural reactions that aren't always amicable and accepting and tolerating of. In fact, they often resist it. And so this joy is, it gets inside of us. It's not just superficial. It connects with us on the core of who we are. And then we choose what to do with Jesus. One writer said this, Jesus is either your joy in this life or he will be your judge in the next. And so there's always this tension with this joy we're talking about. And Simeon, as he closes out his praise, reminds us of this effect of Jesus who brings joy. All right, final word on application. We'll move to our second point today. The joy of Advent doesn't just come for you to soak it up or to hoard it. It is intended to spread through your influence and your profile of it. And here's the question today, Christian, where are others not being confronted by and included by the joy that is stifled by your own diminishing witness? As you let joy leak out of you, it hinders this testimony. It hinders this praise that we see Simeon 
so wisely offering. All right, then let's go to the second character of our study today, verse 36. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Aser or Asher. She was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. Number two, let's talk for a minute about the satisfaction that is ours. The satisfaction of Advent joy. Any of you watched the Buckeyes game last night? Some of you are only in church today trying to recover from that. Literally, I'm not kidding. We missed the field goal as the ball hit, right? It was like literally right at midnight. And I turned to Ian, who's my fellow Buckeye fan. I said, Happy New Year. You know, that's fun. You know, just we ended with a loss. That was the last thing of of this past year. What a fun experience that was. Um, A few days before, so Michigan also that Landon cheers for, they played last night as well. In a couple mornings now, I've heard Ian, when Landon gets up, so school's out, so they sleep in some. When Landon gets up, Ian has got the Ohio State fight song on his phone queued up. And he's, I'm not kidding you on this. And you start hearing it play. And the last couple mornings, I've been in my office, and I can just visualize on Ian's face this look of satisfaction. He just (laughs) stuck it to his brother. And then I imagine Landon's face has the exact opposite expression. You know, you're going to get it, you know. Last night, it was interesting to watch them both process it, you know, trying to not be too bummed out about their team and not too happy the other guy's team lost and all that goes with that, the emotions of that. Um, Satisfaction, being satisfied, being fulfilled, um, this joy that God gives is something that nothing else can offer. Um, Let me give you a couple things under that quickly as we finish. Number one, joy comes to satisfy the prolonged voids of man. And some of us fill that with sports and shoes, and we could go through all kinds of things we try to fill our lives with. Joy comes to satisfy the prolonged, key word there, prolonged voids of man. And in verse 36, you notice that this woman, first of all, was prolonged in age. She had lived a lot of life. Um, She was of great age. Luke says, the delicate doctor puts it. She was of great age. Um, And we know that Anna, like the the man Simeon just mentioned, was a part of this remnant that was faithful to wait upon the Messiah. They didn't give up hope. They didn't lose their joy. They believed it would happen. And it might just happen in their lifetime. The tribe Asher is interesting, means happy or blessed. She was of that tribe. And Anna here, if you put together the numbers, we don't have time to break it down at length, but she was uh, lived with a husband seven years, and then she was a widow, seems to indicate 80, four score, one score is 20, four score in four years. She likely was north of 100 years old. She had lived a lot of life, and yet you see in her an abiding sense, a, a convincedness that God was still going to do things in uh, her day. Can I just say this? There are folks in this room, and I won't embarrass you today, you're a part of that remnant. Um, I see you being faithful. I see you believing God can still use you. You're being used by the Lord. You're being faithful in the areas that God gave you. This woman was a member of that community. Though she had lived a lot of life, she had not lost her joy. And may I say to you today, only the one who trusts in God, in a God who has come near, can experience the joy that only intensifies with the passage of time. That's unnatural, to have more joy at 90 than I had at 80, and more joy at 100 than I had at 90. Because we all know as every clear a year clicks by that the tendency is to become more disillusioned and more cynical, and this woman had a sustaining, intensifying sense of joy 
as every year went by. Now, if you ever noticed with kids, I really enjoyed our kids' Christmas program this year and the adults and teens being worked in as well. But kids can just say things in a way that just kind of reach out and grab you. The other day I heard of a little boy um, who said to his grandma, he said, um, Dear Grandma, I hope you live all of your life, is how he said it. Instead of saying, I hope you live old, to an old age or you live a lot longer, he said, I hope you live all of your life. Scripture says that God gives to us fullness of joy. And you cannot live a full life until you're experiencing this fullness of joy, this fullness of joy that's only found in his presence. And so prolonged in age and yet still joyful. All right, notice the end of verse 36. Had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity and was a widow about fourscore and four years. Number two, prolonged in grief. So she was elderly. Number two, she had been a widow for a long, long time. Some of you in this room have been doing widowhood for a few years or maybe a few decades. This woman was a widow, if you look back at the language there, for 80 and four years. She'd only had a husband for seven years. Maybe they had children, maybe they did not, but she had lived more life without her husband, to say the least, than she had with him. And so this prolonged grief and yet still this abiding sense of joy. How do we know she still had joy? Because despite being a widow, she does what it says. Notice, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayers. If, if it just said daily, wouldn't you be impressed with that? But it says night and day. This woman was committed at her senior and advanced age. The joy sustained her through this long season of grief. And so her great age, her long grief did not deter her from serving the Lord. How? Because she had in her a joy that was abiding, a joy that was intensifying despite the voids in her life. I think I've shared about this uh, point of history before, not this specific, but have you ever heard of a horse named Secretariat? Have you heard of this, this horse? Um, if my math is right, my history is right, in 1973, Secretariat won the triple crown of horse racing and all that goes with that. What was different about Secretariat from other Triple Crown winners, according to the article I was just reading or book excerpt I was just reading, he did it in an unprecedented way. And the last leg of the, of the Triple Crown is the Belmont Stakes, the longest. At the Belmont Stakes, he not only won the race in 1973 by 31 lengths, horse lengths, but he set new records along the way. Listen to this. As he went faster with each phase of the run, for one and one-half miles, the famous thoroughbred ran faster every second. Secretariat was accelerating at such an increased pace that his trainer noted that if the race had been extended another lap, his heart would have literally exploded. And here was just the thought as I read that. What does Paul say in 1 Timothy? He says, we are to finish our course with what? Joy. And the temptation as life goes on is just barely eke across the finish line. The only thing that's going to keep us increasing and intensifying as the years go by is joy. That we literally, if God gave us longer than he's going to give us, we would literally, our heart would explode with what we want and what we yearn for and what we believe. Is that in us? Is that being seen through us? This joy that prolongs us and keeps us in the midst of all that we navigate. 
And I think the key this morning is what fills the voids in our lives? What emotional vibe? Is it bitterness where we have a void? Is it cynicism? Is it focusing on the flaws of others and the shortcomings of so-and-so? Or is it joy that fills the voids in our lives? Bitterness or joy? The Bible says that God fills eternity. And if he can fill eternity, then he can fill the biggest gaping void in our heart and life this morning. No excuse to not possess abiding, filling levels of joy. You're not too old and you're not too alone to be joyful today. You're not, you don't have too great of a chasm or void in your life that God can't fill that and overflow that with his joy. Charles Spurgeon said this, Our sorrows are all like ourselves, mortal. They come, but blessed be God, they also go. We suffer today, but we shall rejoice tomorrow. Our sorrows are mortal. Joy is eternal. And so may we rest in that today as we see this dear gal doing. All right, let's land in verse 38. And she coming in at that instant, and again, just how God cues this up for not just Simeon, but for her. She coming in that instant, and maybe she knew Simeon. I would guess they knew of each other as they came every day faithfully to the temple giving thanks, excuse me, likewise unto the Lord, and spake of him to all them that look for redemption in Jerusalem. Lastly, joy comes to satisfy the expectant voids of man. The prolonged voids, the expectant voids. Um, I don't know what your New Year's resolutions are and how much you like lived it up yesterday, you know, the last day of freedom before you buckle down on whatever dietary discipline or exercise discipline that you were supposed to start today that you didn't yet, for the record. Um, somebody the other day was saying this. They said, I need to get back in shape, and this was her, their assessment, but I'm kind of waiting to see if the world is going to end before I put in any effort, okay? I just, I mean, why waste, you know, giving up whatever if, if the world's going to be over tomorrow? It, it, we lose our sense of expectancy. And with that, we lose the, not just the disciplines, but the joys, the demeanors that we should have as uh, the people of God. It's hard to wait on God and to let others mock us while we're saying, no, I'm counting on God. I'm sticking with Him. I, I'm going to put my faith and confidence in Him again this year, again this day. No matter how long I've been waiting upon Him, I'm going to keep a sense of expectancy. Two things under that were done. Number one, notice there's an expectancy of heart. She, she has a heart that was expecting God to show up and to do what he had promised. She immediately gives thanks to the Lord. She knew what God was doing because she was expecting it. And she thanked him for what she had expected him to do. This gratitude that immediately flooded from her heart issued forth from a place of expectancy. It was a heart level confidence in God. The only way this morning you and I will be poised and ready to rejoice in what the God of joy does in real time and space is if we maintain a joyful heart at all times. Listen to this key statement. A griping, bitter, negative spirit is always out of sync with what God is doing and what he's about to do. When you're griping, you're going to be flat-footed when God brings someone into your life to witness to this year. Someone to counsel, someone to encourage, someone to mentor, someone to be mentored by. God's going to bring things and people, and only when we're in a disposition of joy can we be in step with him. Anna didn't have time to get her heart right with God. It was right every day, and this was just another day of going to the temple, and this time, 
Jehovah showed up in the flesh. She was ready because there was an expectancy of heart. All right, the end of verse 38. I love she doesn't just keep this inside like Simeon. And spake of him, visualize this 100 plus lady going around, everybody she could find, spake of him to all them that look for redemption in Jerusalem. Number two, an expectancy of testimony. An expectancy of testimony. You ever noticed as we move through life that new things make us nervous, that changes? Um, just, it's just our nature, and some changes and new things are bad. I'm not discounting that. came across this little excerpt. So this would be, um, this is a note to Alexander Bell in 1876. He was trying to sell the tele- telephone patent to a large company, and this was their response. The idea of installing telephones, I love how they put that in quotes, like, you know, kind of like we would say, you know, like telephones, like that's really dumb, uh, in every city is idiotic. Why would a person want to use this ungainly and impractical device when he can send a message to the telegraph office and have a clear written message sent to any large city in the U.S.? This telephone has so many shortcomings to be seriously considered as a means of communication. The device has no value to us. Isn't that ironic? And we have, every one of us this morning almost have one tucked in our pocket today. At least you should, all right? Some of you are, quote unquote, following along in the Bible today, all right, in church. Isn't it funny how we we, we come into things flat-footed because we're only focused on what is? And so we give off this vibe, we give off this testimony that God can't do anything new in our day. Shame on us. The God who came and entered time and space and brought us his son can come into time and space this morning and do something. And it's only when we're joyful that our hearts are open to not just receive it, but to let others know about it and to testify of it as we see Anna doing. Like Simeon, she was in the right place at the right time. Something that only happens when we live with this joy. And she went and told others what she had seen and heard. I'd like you to jot down this statement. I think this summarizes our thoughts today because I think we tend to be negative if you're like me. You may think I'm an optimist, but in my heart and mind and the talk in my head, it's often much more negative than it should be. Jot down this statement, not original with me. Great thought. Talking about our problems is our greatest addiction. Talking about our problems is our greatest addiction. Here it is. Break the habit. Talk about your joys. Talking about our problems is our greatest addiction. Break the habit. Talk about your joys. You know, that would revolutionize this year. If we would break the habit, I counsel, I, I, I know there's heartaches in this room. There are things that we're all facing, but that tends to consume a lot of our, the lion's share of our talk and our thinking and our conversation with others. And Anna could have said a lot of things in verse 38, couldn't she? Well, you know, I barely got here today, and you know I've been without a husband for X number of years. Her focus was upon the joys, the joys that the Lord was bringing into your life. Stop talking about being addicted to talking about your problems. Instead, talk about your God-given joys. Is your version of joy today able to maintain the right spirit despite the glaring voids all around you? If not, your joy may be less Advent-fueled and more circumstantial and fickle. 
if there's an ebb and a flow to it, God's never changing, folks, is he? Jesus is still Savior today. He's still Lord today, and he's relevant to our lives. And if our, if our tone and our demeanor is always up and down, it shows that our joy is not abiding in him. It's derived at times by the good circumstances uh, in our lives. And so may we manifest this steadiness that we see in these two folks in our lives as we enter the new year. All right, let's land today in Isaiah. Would you go there for a moment? Chapter 35. This verse jumped out at me recently. Isaiah 35 and verse 10. Isaiah chapter 35 and verse 10. And we're right in the middle of a very heavy section of Isaiah. And a verse that maybe you recognize. We sing a song now and then. Therefore shall the redeemed of the Lord return and come to Zion. These lyrics come literally or come right from this text today. But look at verse number 10 of Isaiah 35. And before we read that today, just to give you a little bit of backstory, here we have Isaiah giving some warnings. In fact, the previous chapter talks about it. The chapter after talks about it. Between two chapters of judgment and invasion, Isaiah 35 is God infusing his people, even as he's telling him, listen, it's going to get bad. It's going to get really bad. But in the middle of these two chapters of captivity and judgment that they rightly, rightfully deserved as disobedient children and people of his, he gives in the middle of this, this infusion of joy, this encouragement that in the end, everything is going to be okay. That in the midst of weariness and, and the things they're about to face, the consequences of their disobedience and rebellion, God extends this promise. Here it is. It will not always be this way. I don't know what the future has. And the position of this pastor and this church, and I think God himself, is not saying the next few decades are going to be just great. I don't know that. I can't say that. All I can say is whatever the next few decades and moments and this year has for us, the most difficult things will end someday. This will end. Notice here in verse 10 of Isaiah 35, God gives them this reminder. The ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting, what? Joy upon their heads, and they shall obtain, what? Joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. I love just the, the imagery there, the language there, the rhythmic presentation of the joy that is promised to God's people. May I say to you today as we wind down the holidays, Christmas is not always a festive season. Many of you have gone through some difficulties or reminders of that difficulty this past few weeks. Whether that's the absence of a loved one, the heartache of broken relationships, that you didn't see so-and-so and haven't for years, the toll of chronic suffering, the unending battle against sin that we all battle, it's often, if we're not careful, we just grow weary. We just grow weary. In the midst of that, God gives to us afresh and anew today this source of joy. And you know what that is? There's a greater exile God's bringing us back from, and he's provided for us. And it's not just the, the Passover lamb of the Old Testament. It's the lamb of God, born, born to live, to serve, to die, to be buried and resurrected, as we just sang, for the forgiveness of our sin. And so we have reason to be joyful today. How often are we robbed of joy? Just this parting question. We believe that God sent his son to be born, to die on a cross, to purchase our pardons, but we're worried if he can get us all the way home. 
We're worried that God who left his home, came to where we are, sent his son. Do we really think God can't get us where he is? Our joylessness reveals where that's true of us today. And may I say to you today as we finish, because we have God come near, we have access to surprisingly consistent and dynamic joy, no matter what we have faced this last year and what we will face this, this current year, God gives us his joy. Will we today open our hearts to the coming joy that God offers us through divine visibility and through divine satisfaction? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today.